1: Hey, everybody.
2: Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I am reading a biography of John Quincy Adams. I, I know that sort of titillates all of you. <laughs> Less than the word titillate. That is very intelligent. You know, they say that if you have a bright engineer your life is made. That's an Ecclesiastes. He who hath a bright engineer hath his life. He, he sits in the valley of verdant greens. There you go. Anyway, the reason I mention it to you, I'm, I'm still in his youth. So he graduated college and he there were lectures given at the at the graduation he graduated second in his class at Harvard Harvard was not then you know in terms of prestige what it is today though it probably gave you a much better education then so you had to know because you might have to give your you're nodding what do you think I'm gonna say I'm very curious give him the microphone i'm very, i'm very curious what what you'll guess i'm about to say
1: i was going to say that you you have to give you have to be prepared at any moment to speak latin or speak greek or something like that
2: very good latin greek hebrew english and i believe french hmm. <laughs> there were five languages then when you see, you know, and they had, for their final exam, they had to translate from those languages and into those languages. I I often tell people, till 1800, you could not graduate uh, Harvard without knowing Hebrew. This is a Judeo, well, it was, a Judeo-Christian country. In in every sense of the word, and it is uh, not as much. I'll be I'll be uh, understated in my observation. But the reason I mentioned it was not for the Judeo-Christian point. It was to show you what was expected of a college graduate in the late eighteenth century. I'm not sure that the average graduate would know what Latin is I mean Latin Greek that that's a challenge Hebrew is a challenge I mean we're not talking cognate languages like the romance languages his French was so good because of his time spent in France that he he often wrote uh, just simply wrote thoughts in French John Quincy Adams the love of his life do you know about that she was 15 years old and he was about 21 which is very very common then people just grew up then it's very interesting isn't it when you think about it today if if you have relations uh, with a uh, with a girl under 18 you go to jail. Then you married a girl under 18. Part of the reason was, of course, people lived so many fewer years and so many women died in childbirth. So you, when, it's a very interesting thing. When you know, when you think you will not live long, you do more. And uh, when you think you'll live long, you waste a lot of time. I mean, this makes sense, obviously. If you knew you'd live till 200 and somebody said, you know, there's a book you should read, you'd say, okay, I, you know, I'll do it in 26 years. Uh, I've always uh, said this because it's true. Death gives life meaning and i you know i certainly don't like it it's it's a bummer to to be um, cavalier about it it's 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 a painful thing that everyone you love will die and you will die and i will die on on the other hand it does in fact infuse life with intense meaning all right everybody welcome to the show Two California schools named for Washington and Jefferson will be getting new names after Black Lives Matter push. This is a news report from Fox News yesterday. Two San Francisco area elementary schools named after a pair of founding fathers who own slaves will get new names after a school board approved a Black Lives Matter resolution last week. Boy, Black Lives Matter, the organization went from ra- radical fringe to mainstream the not because it changed but because the uh, the dominant culture moves leftward at the speed of light that's it's that's an amazing thing even putting about ba- black lives matter aside the notion that schools would no longer be named after the people who founded the freest country in human history? I don't know how anything will be named after almost anybody. But it doesn't matter what it says. The, the most important point is, aside from the incredible lack of wisdom, you don't judge people's behaviors the same today as you did in their time. You judge them according to their time. They were giants. Washington and Jefferson were giants. Because they founded such a free country. It's less free today. Certainly in the in the, uh, the most important freedom, freedom of speech. God bless Tom, Cru- Tom Cruise, Ted Cruz. Senator Ted Cruz is by far the biggest activist in the U.S. Senate or House on behalf of free speech. He's called out Google, uh, which was about to uh, apparently demonetize the Federalist, a major conservative news site, because uh, NBC News had snitched on them, and I'm sure NBC News has used the word McCarthyism. This is McCarthyism on steroids. Anyway, look, they're they are so far left, so radical, essentially communist, uh, that the editor, the long-standing editor of the New York Times, the editor of the, of the opinion page, was removed by the younger staff because he published a piece... By a Republican senator, making the case for using troops to stem riots, not protests. Riots. He made a distinction in the article. You don't publish what you don't agree with, which is which is the case. I don't read the news. I don't read the news. Uh, anyway, the news items in the New York Times anymore. I only read the opinion page to get an idea about what the left thinks. What. What frenzied idea will they come up with next? What hatred? The most hate-filled page pages are the opinion pages of the Washington Post and the New York Times and the like. Remember the uh, when I say they lie? Remember the example I gave you of the Los Angeles Times? I've gotta I got to copy that headline. Editorial. Uh, what was it? Uh Atlanta police kill man found a drunk at Wendy's. (laughs) That's why they killed him. But uh, the whopper for the lies of the left, and remember truth is not a left-wing value. You have to say that every day to understand the world better. It's not that they, they don't care if they lie. That's the difference. The man who ran for vice president of the United States declared a whopping lie on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Tim Kaine. I will play it for you. The Dennis Prager Show. You're about to hear... The lethal combination of the left in one person, Tim Kaine. It is a a statement... uh, What is he, Virginia? It's a statement, just as it is about California. I'm not being chauvinist. Chauvinistic. That people elect uh, such people is... uh, Is depressing. You know, I... Uh, again, I'm reading this biography of John Quincy Adams. He had he had a, a terrible fear of the mob. He was right. I do too. Remember, I've been saying all my life how important it is to realize human nature is not basically good. You realize that on the left, there's no serious character education. There isn't even unserious character education. So right and wrong are what you feel at any given moment. Oh, there's a major injustice. So I will demonstrate, and in some cases I will destroy. I uh, The lack of thought, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, when you knock out the pillars of of a society, the house falls down. Is that not obvious? That's it. That's all you need to know. You can't still have your house if you knock out the pillars. Jefferson and Washington are pillars. They're knocked out. The house falls down. And yet, uh, what the left does is so focus your attention on a man named Donald Trump that somehow or other, hatred of Donald Trump, dislike of Donald Trump, is supposed to in, in be greater than the nihilistic damage done by the left. Let's hear Tim Kaine He's on the floor of the U.S. Senate.
1: We need to ban racial and religious profiling. We need to hold police officers and police departments accountable for violent, reckless behavior. We need to promote better training and professional accreditation. I'm sorry, how did, how did we get to that? Department. That's
2: not what I have here. I, I don't have no interest in, in uh, his thoughts on the current situation, only on what's written here, the first American, African-Americans. So when you find that let me know. What he what he said was the United States invented created slavery. The United States created slavery. They'll say anything. It's the twin pillars lying and defaming. Though those if you knock out those pillars then the then the house of the left crumbles. Just as if you knock out Jefferson and Washington, the American house Crumbles. We created it. Isn't that a fascinating thing? Yep. It got created that is slavery by the.
1: About this in Virginia, the first African Americans into the English colonies came to Point Comfort, Virginia, in 1619. They were slaves. 1619. You got it. Will. This is the New York Times effect. Colonies that didn't have slavery. There were no laws. About slavery in the colonies at that time, the United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was We created it, and we created it and maintained it over centuries. And in, in my lifetime We have finally stopped some of those practices, but we've never gone back to undo it. Really? Stopping racist practices at year 350 of 400 years, but then taking no effort to dismantle them is not the same.
2: Okay. It's it's, it's mumbo-jumbo. You realize that? This man is a U.S. senator. I, I'm at a loss for words. It didn't even make sense. Aside from we created slavery. We didn't inherit it. It just it just was developed. There was no slave trade prior to 1619. Every society on earth, my dear listeners, had slavery, including Black African, Native American asian and whatever else existed and you all know obviously about the greeks and and the romans that was the that that was the most ubiquitous institution slavery it's one of the examples i give when i tell people human nature is not basically good the ubiquity of slavery if people were basically good how could they own other people Why wasn't there a voice in them saying this This is wrong? It took a long time to get rid of it. Now, yes, I, got, I just got a sheet. Two schools honoring Washington and Jefferson to be renamed in support of Black Lives Matter. That I didn't know. I knew that they were being renamed. Who, who is this from? Yeah, that's right. The Washington Examiner. Yeah, but it doesn't. That we'll see what that means. Anyway, it's bad enough that they're they're taking the names down. This is one of the questions that needs to be asked of Joe Biden. See, he gets to avoid questions because doesn't, he doesn't answer any. He's not even. I don't think any opposed it to him, other than how are you? Uh, do you support the renaming of schools that were named after Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, folks? To give you an idea of the radical change in America, I'd like to tell a high school kid today that when I was in school, in elementary school. We not only had a national holiday called Washington's birthday, but we put on Washington birthday plays. I don't. I know I was in one in elementary school. I don't remember if I. I don't think I was George Washington. I do remember having a crush on Betsy Ross. But for me to have a crush was sort of like breathing. So that doesn't tell you much. What do they have plays about today in elementary school? Isn't that an interesting question? Do they honor anything about America? Do Jewish and Christian schools, forget it, secular, do they say the Pledge of Allegiance? My article is on religious schools. Take a look. this column this week. Hello everybody, I'm Dennis Prager and I have a, a dear soul here and one of the funniest people I know, and he should be because he makes a living, making people laugh, Tom Dreesen. Yes, he does deserve uh, massive applause. Let me see your book, give it to me because it's, uh... you should see the reviews on Amazon of the book. When did it come out? A week ago. And here you are, still standing, my journey from streets and saloons to the stage and Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Tom Dreesen. I, I have heard you at so many events that I have spoken, and I'm always amazed that somebody with political views that are not on the left can be funny. <laughs> I don't find the leftist comics funny at all because they just assume that smearing and cursing uh, makes people laugh. But we don't as- uh, associate conservatives with laughter. We associate them with happiness. I, th- everybody knows conservatives are happier than liberals and certainly than leftists. But you are, uh, you are a funny guy. Let me ask you on a personal note, what has it been like to be in lockdown
0: it's very difficult because when I'm off the road, the first thing I do is go to the Laugh Factory in Hollywood and, and try out new material. I, you know, and so it, it's, it's just part of my life. I've been doing it for – this is my 50th year in show business. And for 50 years, I've been a stand-up comedian. So when you take that away from me, you know, uh, and now even if we go back, as we were talking before we came on the air, that if you're going to say, okay, you can go back, but we're going to put five people to the left and four to the right and six in the back, you just cut off our electrical circuit that we use for timing. And so it's not going to be the same. Um, by the way, I want to say one thing. One of the things that you may or may not remember that you said to me one night at the Beverly Hills Hotel after I had given, given a monologue, about eight-minute monologue, one of my uh, jokes was, my line was, that at the Laugh Factory, I was there last weekend, and I was upstairs working on looking at my notes, ready to go on stage, and there were two young comedians around the corner, they didn't know I was there. And one of them said, you know, Tom Dreesen's performing tonight. The other one said, yeah, you know, he's old school. And he said, what do you mean he's old school? He said, well, he doesn't use the F word. The right. other comedian said, he doesn't use the F word. What does he use for adjectives? And I stuck my head around the corner and I said, adjectives.
2: <laughs> I you, remember yeah. that. That's one of the few lines I remember. Not of you. I just don't remember lines. But that's right. That's that's right. You use adjectives. It, it, it's an eerie thing. That's part of the... the the decline of society, the reliance on uh, on such words. And it all began, you know, on, uh, in
0: 1975, wherever you went in America, people say, what do you do for a living? So I'm a stand-up comedian. The next question out of their mouth was, oh, yeah, you ever been on Johnny Carson? They didn't say The Tonight Show. They said, you ever been on Johnny Carson? Right. If you hadn't been on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, then you weren't a comedian in the eyes of America. You might want to be or going to be, right. but until you did that show, you weren't. A comedian. And so as a businessman, and we're in show business, that's two words. So you say, how do I get on the Tonight Show? You'd watch a Tonight Show and say, I got to write material that can make grandma and grandpa, mom and dad and the kids laugh. There was no cable television those days. So it was, there was 26 million people watching The Tonight Show every night. One appearance on The Tonight Show, Freddie Prince got a sitcom the next day. I did one appearance on The Tonight Show. CBS signed me to a development deal the following day. So it was a business decision. Wow. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a prude. Uh, you know, I don't have a degree from academia. I got a doctorate from the streets. That's where I grew up. You know, I, yes. could, I could do a stag roast with the best of them, but there was no money in it. So it was a stupid business decision. Today, comics... I can't believe some of the things women stand up, as as well as men, do. Uh, I, I'm blown away. Jack Benny, Bob Hope, George Burns would be spinning in their grave if they saw that material. You know.
2: That's exactly right. So your journey from streets and saloons, you grew up in the streets and saloons of Chicago?
0: Yeah, in the south side of the suburb called Harvey, Illinois, steel mills and factories and, and taverns. Man, we had ta- we had 36 taverns in all. And I shine shoes. And this this is what this book is about. I had eight brothers and sisters. We lived in a shack. We were raggedy poor, holes in my shoes. This is this book is about this boy, this little boy, walking with a shoe shine box into all the taverns, shining shoes every night, trying to make money to feed his brothers and sisters, and hearing Sinatra on the jukebox in all those bars. And so this book is a journey from a little boy from Harvey, Illinois, shining shoes in bars, in hear, hearing Sinatra on the jukebox, to one day carrying his coffin out of a church in Beverly Hills, California. Is that right? You That's were
2: one of the poll bears,
0: and I spoke at his funeral. So it's, it's this little boy's journey. Wow.
2: Well, I got a lot to talk to you about. What do we have here, my friend? Yeah. We're good. Now, were you always conservative?
0: I was born a Chicago Democrat, which means that the, in Chicago, the second you come out of the womb, they introduce you to your Democratic precinct, Captain, and then you get to meet your mom and dad. So you're
2: indoctrinated into the system, you know. That's what I say about New York. Yeah. They had sex male party Democrat on my birth certificate. (laughs) We'll be back in a moment. Tom Dreesen's book is up at DennisPrager.com. This is a great time to laugh. It's very necessary, and this will make you do that. Read the reviews of the book at Amazon. It's called Still Standing. Tom Dreesen. Okay, everybody, Dennis Prager here with a terrific man, a funny man, and it's very hard to be funny. I have fantastic respect for comics. I've always said, and tell me, Tom Dreesen is the man and his book is still standing. The subtitle is My Journey from Streets and Saloons to the Stage and Sinatra." But as one reviewer on Amazon writes, it's much more than celebrity insights. It is deeper and richer than that. It is a story of hope and perseverance. So I want to talk to you for a second about my theory on on comedy. When I think of films that are made, I think the ratio of films that make you cry to films that make you laugh is probably 10 to 1. And I think there's a reason for that. It's easy to make people cry. Mm-hmm. You just show a mother with cancer mm-hmm. and, and people cry. Mm-hmm. But to make people laugh, mm-hmm. I have to believe that's very hard. When, you, when you're writing a joke, there are two
0: rules that you want to think about. Comedy, number one, comedy is nine-tenths surprise. The audience laughs because they didn't think you were going to say that. Or do that. So the setup line has that's to hide a, the punchline. That's a line. very good point. I didn't and, realize The that. other rule is there are no victimless jokes. Who's the victim in the joke? Uh, many years ago, Mort Saul, I met him. I was a new comedian. I'd been in the business four months. I snuck backstage at a club called Mr. Kelly's, and I knocked on his dressing room door, and I was nervous. And I thought his manager was going to open and run me out. And Mort Saul opened the door. He said, yeah. I said, more, Mr. Saul, I'm a new comedian. I just wanted if you to give me some advice. Come on in. He talked to me for two hours before his next show, and I never forgot that. That's why I've always helped other comedians. But he, he said to me something interesting. He said, do you write your own material, Tom? I said, yes. He said, remember, they're wrong. I said, who? He said, they. I said, who, he said, who are you writing about? They're wrong. Government, they're wrong. Airlines, they're wrong. Uh-huh. Your, your mother-in-law, she's wrong. You're wrong. Somebody's wrong in this joke. <laughs> and, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the difference between comedy and film and the stand-up comedian, or the humorist. Now, Dennis Prager at a podium with a lectern in front of a podium can tell a funny story and get a nice laugh. But if Dennis Prager walks away from that podium and goes center stage and grabs a hand mic, you better be real funny.
2: I make audiences laugh, and I know what you're saying to be true. If I were put in a comedy club, it would not be the same thing. Yeah. In the middle of a serious speech, it's easier to make people laugh.
0: That's right. At uh, Frank Sinatra's funeral, at a very serious moment, I spoke, and I made the room erupt with laughter because they needed that laugh at that time. You mm-hmm. know, But it was it's just all of that, again, Is it, it, I can teach you a lot of things about stand-up comedy, and I do do that for young comedians. I give motivation speeches to comedians called The Joy of Stand-Up Comedy and How to Get There, and so to motivate them because most comedians are – Insecure, neurotic, love-starved Rex, you know. But uh, the 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 it's the one thing I can't teach you is timing. I can teach you a lot. It's hard to describe timing. If I could describe timing to you, I'd say say there's a pond of water, and you've got a rock, and you throw that rock as high in the air as you can, and then the rock goes up as far as it can, and then it slowly comes down and hits the pond. Now that's laughter. If laughter, when laughter is rising, you never move on your next line. You step on your own lap. You Sometimes I wait for the rockets a little ways down, and sometimes it's halfway down. Sometimes I wait before I move on my next line until it hits the pond. And some nights I let it ripple all the way across the pond. I can't tell you how I'm going to do that before I go on stage because I don't know how the audience is going to react to me. So my brain sets to their – I set a timing off of their laughter. and it, And, again, I can teach you everything but timing. And if I did a 20-minute routine tonight at the Laugh Factory – and I did that same exact routine in front of 20,000 people opening for Frank Sinatra, it would take on a totally different dynamic because of the size of the crowd and, and the, the logistics of the room.
2: It's just. Is there ever a danger? I always think about this when I watch a, a stand up com, comedy. Is there ever a danger you'll forget what the next joke is? Yeah, but
0: Mor- Mor- Maury Amsterdam taught me a trick years ago. He said, if you're out, and I- I- this happened, I did 61 appearances on The Tonight Show, so some nights you'd be out there. How many? 61 appearances on The Tonight Show. Um, the, the, uh, I, wow. Yeah, and so you'd be out there some nights, and Maury Amsterdam taught me a trick. And he told me that's – he helped John Kennedy get elected, and he told me he had a letter from President Kennedy saying just that. He said, if you're ever going up on your lines, you're on stage, he said, don't stop and try to force, where was I? Just keep talking, and your brain will catch up. He said he taught – And that works? It works. If sometimes I, if I was out there and I was going somewhere and, and I didn't – I lost my train of thought – I would just keep talking but anyhow this is a wonderful room and you know they should have been by the way marijuana <laughs> it'll come back to you he said that John Kennedy if you remember the debates between Nixon and Kennedy when they'd asked John Kennedy a question and he didn't have it right he'd say that's a very good question mr. chairman and let me say this about that just in those words his brain caught up to the question you know Huh.
2: And that happens with you occasionally, you know. Occasionally, sometimes. Are you allowed to bring up little tiny notes you, just to remind yourself of ve- stuff? Very you unprofessional. Say?
0: Some comedians do it. It's at the, when you're trying out new material, not. but not when you're in a major. I
2: in, see. When they you pay can't the do seat. that. I mean, you can see a speaker yeah. can. Nobody cares if a speaker speaks from notes. That's right. Yeah. I never like when speakers give a written speech. I mean, you might as well just hand it out. Yes. But I, I, I. I tell young speakers, of course, you should make notes. Yes, because there there are points. I've given thousands of speeches. I could give a five hour speech without notes, but I always bring a few notes. People don't know it. That's usually written on the back of a of a business card. Sure, that's how. But but it, it's a huge help to me. But you can't do that. That's my point.
0: Well, I mean, you you, you can put bullet points. I do a ninety minute show called uh, "An Evening of Laughter and Memories of Sinatra." Sometimes I call it the man who made Sinatra laugh. And in a teleprompter it looks like a monitor, I'll have bullet points so I have continuity. I mean, I won't have the joke written out. First of all... No, it, no, of course not. That's could, what I meant, If you read points. a joke, it doesn't work. I no, tell correct. anybody that's doing... Yeah. If you're going to do a roast and you're going to read the joke, it's not going to be that funny. You've got to memorize the joke. Right, you know? right. But bullet points will keep you in continuity. A beginning. Every sentence has a beginning and get beginning, a middle, and an ending. Every joke has a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And every 90-minute show has the same thing. So you you
2: traveled for 14 years with Frank Sinatra. City to city. 45 to 50 cities. Wait, you would be the warm-up act, as they call it. Mm -hmm. Now... Did you hang around in every instance to hear him, or you were done and you could leave?
0: There was nothing. I could, I could leave, but I would always. And I toured with Sammy Davis Jr. for three years, too, and I did the same thing. I have sat in the wings and watched these great performers, their stage presence and how they approach certain things. It was it was going to school. And I had done 40-something tonight shows when I met Frank Sinatra. Wow. I'd been around. But he All was right. a master.
2: The book is still standing. Tom Dreesen, D-R-E-E-S-E-N.
0: Out of the tree of life I just picked me a plum You came along And everything started Into hum
1: Yeah, that's Still, the a inimitable a Frank Sinatra that the best is yet A to genius come. In my
2: opinion Tom Dreesen's Memoirs is are not only about Frank Sinatra, the they're about life, fine. and he's funny. The book is up at DennisPrager.com. Tom Dreesen, has anybody compiled a list? Because I am fascinated by Sinatra. How many songs he sang?
0: He went to the studio 1,431 times. He recorded over 100 albums and 1,200 original songs. That's unheard of. 1,200 original songs that were written just for him.
2: Oh, original! Oh, for him, not by him, but,
0: right? But but, he, but that came twelve hundred original songwriters. Don't you know? Smokey Robinson's one of my dear friends in the whole world, and he's written God knows how many songs. But to to record twelve hundred original songs, that's amazing, you
2: yeah. it, it, it it truly is. In a nutshell, did those fourteen years fly by?
0: Now when I look back, yes they did. And and I and I knew that day would come someday. In the fourteen years I toured with Frank Sinatra, I turned down more sitcoms, more shows than most comedians get offered in a lifetime. Because I knew this was an end of an era. And I had toured with Sammy, did the Dean Martin shows, and now this was the end of an era. By the way, it's a that's what my book is about. It's a show business that you, you was before and will never be seen again.
2: That's right. So it is. The book, my friends, is still standing. And I'll tell you this, If you, uh, when we do get back to normal life, God willing, and you have an event, you should bring this man, because it's important for conservatives to laugh. Important for anybody to laugh, obviously, but uh, we're in a very uh, tense time. God bless you, my friend. You do great work.
0: Thank you, thank Ellen, and thank Susan. That's
2: a deal. <laughs> I will do so. All right, everybody, male-female hour coming up on the Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show. Live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio.
0: Wait till you're locked in my embrace. Wait till I draw you near. Wait till you see that sunshine place. Ain't nothing like it here. The best is yet. Come and babe, won't it be fine?